We're in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. There was a time probably when you could tell a lot about a person's life by looking into his eyes. Now you can probably tell more about him by reading his bumper sticker. Somebody said they saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, God is back and is he mad? <laughs> I've seen some that say, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be fishing or I'd rather be skiing, I'd rather be flying. I just got a feeling, I don't know what those guys are like. In the back of the one it has, I'd rather be fishing. I know he's got the trunk of that car loaded down with fishing gear. He's just waiting for a chance to get out there. But I've never seen one that said, I'd rather be in a shipwreck. I've seen some that said, have you hugged your kid today? But I've never seen one that said, have you sunk your boat today? And you're probably thinking, well, you dummy. I mean, if you're here for the first time, you're thinking, that guy is crazy. He's dumb. Who wants to be in a shipwreck? Because after, if you've ever been in one, all that's left is a horrible memory. I have a nephew who is an officer in the Merchant Marine. He got out of high school. His father is a, has his doctorate in chemistry. And he uh, wanted him to teach school or something like that. He headed for the Merchant Marines. He's been all over the world. And he said the most frightening thing in, li in life was the first time you were in one of those violent storms in the ocean. He said waves come three or four stories high, just come surging down upon the ship. And he said they literally have to tie you in the bunk just to keep you on board. He said it is terrifying. And if you make it through one, if you survive, you never outlive that memory. So who wants to be in a shipwreck? But I'm telling you, not always is what it seems reality. Sometimes perception is different from reality. The, the owners in the American Football Conference got together recently and they were discussing coming up the hard way in the old AFC conference. And uh, present was Lamar Hunt and the Hiltons were there, Nikki Hilton was there. And somebody got up to introduce Nikki Hilton and they talked about how that Nikki Hilton took a team with a Los Angeles football team at Los Angeles and the first year was the only person that made $100,000 with his football team. Nikki Hilton got up and said, I need to correct that introduction just a little bit. It wasn't me, it was my brother, Barron. It wasn't in Los Angeles, it was in San Diego. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't football, it was baseball. It wasn't $100,000, it was a million. We didn't make it, we lost it. I mean, there's sometimes it's just different than what you think it is. Not everything is really what it looks like on the surface or what we think. Perception is oftentimes different from reality. And if you were to see somebody, if, you, if I were to ask you, name me some biblical character you'd, be, you'd want to be like the most. I imagine that if any of you here knew anything about the Apostle Paul, you'd say, I'd like to be like him. A man who most modeled the life of Christ. I'd like to live in his sandals. I'd like to live his life. If you were to say that, if you say that, you've never read his record. That's in the second Corinthian letter, chapter 11. And he talks about the hard times he went through and the times he was shipwrecked. And in the deep, he said, for a day and a night. 
But not always is a shipwreck bad. I want you to look now at chapter 27 because I'm going to tell you how to enjoy a shipwreck. But before we get there, I want you to look back to chapter 23, verse 11. Chapter 23, verse 11. We came, by, we came by this verse a few Sunday nights ago and it spoke to our heart then. Now look at what he says in verse 11 of chapter 23. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to me, to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. End of unconditional promise and so God said to this apostle you're going to Rome period you're going to the fulfillment of your dream unconditional promise for Paul had lived his life with a dream of going to Rome to Caesar's palace and to preaching to Nero you're going to Rome period now he didn't tell Paul how he would get there. He didn't tell him that he was going to take him to Rome through the fire and the water and the flood. But he's going to do that. We're going to see that. When he gets to Rome by the way Paul, God is going to take him, he's going to be perfected and he's going to know he's arrived and he's going to know how he got there. The straightest line, the straightest way to distance between two points in this case is not a straight line. He's going to take him through the fire, through the flood. I believe it was Meyer's commentary of the book of Isaiah when he said, If somebody tells me I'm going to be on a dangerous journey, then every bump in the road is going to be a reminder that I'm on the right road. And chapter 27 described the jolts in the road. Now, the destination is declared in verse 1. Let's look at chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, for Rome, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. He's headed to Rome, the fulfillment of his dream. He's just going to go a little bit different than what he had planned. He's going as a prisoner in the galley. But I want you to check now and jump down to verse 3. And the next day we put out at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. F.F. F. Bruce in his marvelous little book, marvelous book on Christ, the apostle of the heart set free, has this comment. Paul's genius for friendship manifested itself at an early stage in the voyage. He so won the confidence of the centurion that by the time the ship on which they had embarked at Caesarea put in at Sidon, he was allowed to go ashore on parole and visit his friends. I mean, this kind of guy, um, a prisoner, uh, just made friends with a centurion. If you think of the apostle, it says a lot about him. If you think of him as a kind of a hard-boiled, grouchy old man with his jaw set, he really wasn't. I can just see him even as a prisoner going up and down the ship, meeting friends, meeting people, making friends, made friends with a centurion. Hang on to that because it's going to be key in just a moment. So when they set in, the first time they 
docked on the voyage. He had made such a friend with Julius the centurion that he let him go on board to meet his friend. Hey, Paul, you want to take a little uh, parole here and, and see some of your buddies? Now, if you got your outline, we're going to look at the chapter in general and just go in a hurry right now. Time is limited tonight. The first thing I want to say in, uh, about the chapter in general overview is that it is filled with we's and ours and us's. Verses 3 and 4 and 6. So that there were two men on that ship that knew the apostle and knew him intimately. One of them was named Luke, Dr. Luke, and the other was Aristarchus, and they were friends of the apostle. Now this vessel that they were on was kind of like a, 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 a giant barge. If you've been down to Houston, Texas, and you've seen some of these barges come in carrying freight or, or cargo, that's what it was like. Uh, the commentators say there was probably a corn ship delivering corn uh, from one uh, nation to the other, gigantic barge. And perhaps Luke and Aristarchus, knowing that Paul was on there as a prisoner, just hired out so they could be there with him. You might ask the question, and you might not. So if you, in case you're not going to ask the question, I'm going to tell you how many folks were on board. Verse 37, there were 276 people on board. It wasn't just a little bitty vessel. Third thing, it was a difficult voyage. Verses 7 and 8 and 10 and 14. Just mark those down there. It says that there was, after a while, as they left Sidon and set sail, they got into contrary winds. And they came, they, they came against what is called a Uroquala. It's like a blizzard like a norther that comes down in West Texas and it's violent. The wind was severe. It was like what my, um, my nephew tells about. You never forget it. It was a difficult time. So in verse 20 it says that every one of them abandoned hope. Now it must be getting pretty severe on this voyage, on this journey, because these old sea salts had abandoned hope. Now, I know it wasn't the first time that they had gotten into a storm like this, but it was worse than anything they had ever experienced in life. Now, I want to pause and just kind of say parenthetically that, that I may be speaking to somebody tonight who, who feels that way. You've just about abandoned hope. As a matter of fact, just before I came into this auditorium tonight, I sat a few moments with a, with a dear friend. We prayed together. He said to me, I have abandoned hope. And there's some of you who feel that you're kind of caught up in a storm. I mean, things look pretty dim, grim, dismal. If you haven't come to that point in your life, you may. When everything looks dark and, and hopeless and the winds are contrary and it doesn't really matter how hard you struggle and how hard you try, you're just getting nowhere and it feels like the whole thing is coming apart. That sound like anybody you know. Well, I want to give you three from the Apostle Paul's experience, three spiritual anchors, and I want to begin reading at verse 25 with anchor number one. 
Now, if you get into a, into a place in life, if you get into a storm of life and you need some anchors, here's three, here are three spiritual anchors. Verse 22, the first spiritual anchor is the presence of Almighty God. Look what he says in verse 22. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. The only thing that's going to be lost is the ship. For this very night, this is Paul addressing this crew, this group of people. For this very night, an angel of God, of the God whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. This God to whom I belong and the God whom I serve, this God stood before me and an angel saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Anchor number one is the presence of God. That is a limitless presence. And His presence always comes in the shape of a cross. And God always says, I love you and I will never leave you. The ship may break up, but I will be there. You can take courage because I'm always going to be there. And I don't know any place on earth where God is not. And I'm absolutely convinced that as long as we can be sure that God is there, then we can stand it, we can survive. And some of us learned that verse of Scripture. If you haven't learned it, you need to memorize it. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You facing that doctor's visit next week? Just know this, God is going to be there. And you got some bills coming and you can't pay? Just remember that God's presence is there. Are you facing a funeral of some loved one in the near days ahead? You can understand, you can believe this, that God stands by you. And so we memorized, we sang that song when I was a kid, the winds and the waves obey my will, peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storms tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. Wherever God is, it's going to be all right. The anchor of the presence of God. Second, is the anchor of practical encouragement. Now follow with me as he, uh, verses tw uh, verse 26 and following. He said, I believe that everything's going to come out exactly as God said it, but we must run aground on a certain island. We're going to have to, it's going to be imperative, we crash this ship. That's not a whole lot of encouragement. Somewhere out there, there's an island. We're going to have to find that island and ram it. <laughs> That's encouraging. But when the 14th night had come as we were being driven about the Arctic Sea about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings. 
And they found it to be 20 fathoms, fathom, fathoms, and a little farther on they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. I can just see them, oh, daybreak, hurry up, hurry up, daybreak. And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, they're going to skip out, they're going to, they're, going to, they're on the lamb, they're going to run. It's amazing to me when God tells us everything's going to be all right and He gives us this marvelous plan for our life. We always have these little escape hatches over here we keep on the side. God's going to provide you what you need, but we're going to set something back and we have these little plans up our sleeves just in case He doesn't come through. You ever notice that? That's the way I always do. I believe God will do this, but just in case. Huh? I'm going to have this little scheme I can work out on my own. I'm always doing that. While I believe, while I'm trusting God, I'm working out these little schemes, how to get out the back door, you know, in case I have to get out of there. That's exactly what they were doing. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be, be saved. Everybody stay where he is. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Now watch this. The anchor of practical encouragement. Hear this thing, they're in the midst of this storm and the ship's about to break apart. And Paul says, anybody got anything to eat? I'm hungry. You know. Has anybody got anything to eat? And I can just hear one and say, man, that guy... Here, here the whole thing's about to fall apart and he's wanting something to eat. He said, therefore, now, now the amazing thing, the good thing about the Apostle Paul is that when it comes down to practical encouragement, he didn't give us these sermons, all these platitudes, all these cliche answers. He gives practical help. He says, therefore I encourage you to take some food. For well, this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. He just sat down at the table, started eating. Everything's falling apart. Every time I read that, I think of that psalm, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I think of that man standing there waiting for that football to come down. He's way for a fair catch, and he knows he's just going to be able to. And there are 250-pound linebackers bearing down on him. He just stands there calmly, catches the ball, because he knows that they're not going to be able to touch him. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I think of that man who spent seven years in a prison camp in Vietnam, and one morning he said, I was lying there praying that God would kill me. Let me die. I'd been tortured beyond the ability to endure any longer. And he said, while well, I was lying in that cell in, in a Vietnam prisoner of war camp, somewhere, he said, I don't know where it was, I heard the chimes of a church bell ringing. And God spoke to my heart and said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so when the storm was raging, he just sat down to eat because God was in control, was going to take care of him. Now what did the rest of them do? 
and all of them were encouraged. That's amazing, isn't it? Let me tell you something. You can give your witness of Jesus Christ and God's grace and His power to save all day long. And it doesn't mean too much to too many people. But if they see you in the presence of a storm, living out that faith in God, trusting Him day by day in the mundane and the daily walk and the daily problems, if they see it there that you are standing by God, by God's grace, it's going to mean something then. The greatest witness you have is the witness of God's grace in the face of pressure and storms. And they were encouraged by it. So they all sat down to eat. I mean, 276 of them. While the wind was roaring outside and the waves and they were at the mercy of the storm, they were all just sitting there and eating because the Apostle Paul had the witness of courage in the face of that storm by the grace of God. And when they finished eating, they just threw their plates overboard. That's a way to do the dishes. I mean, when they got through eating, who needs plates now? They just, the, the scripture says that in order to lighten the ship, they just took the dirty dishes and threw them overboard and took care of that business. Anchor number three is the anchor of absolute faith. Look at verse 39. Hang in there because we're going to find something that will really help us in a minute. And when, they day, when the day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach. Now look at this crazy thing. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. I mean, there's some land. Go for it. I mean, you don't... Sailors don't find land and ram it with a ship. The whole thing comes apart. But God had said that they had to drive that ship onto land. The ship would be lost. It's the anchor of absolute faith. There's the land God told us, go for it. And so they turned their sail and they headed for it. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, that none of them could, should swim away and escape. But the centurion, this guy that Paul made friends with, but the centurion wanting to bring Paul safely through kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest should follow some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And thus it happened that they all were brought safely to land. The third anchor is the anchor of absolute faith. Now listen to me carefully. If you'll do it God's way, if you'll live God's way, if you'll do just exactly as God says for you to do in life, you find it right here. You live just like that. And you'll never, you'll never be a loser. Now, let me answer the question that some of you have. I've, I've, I've talked with people this week who've had this question. Why are there shipwrecks in life? Why are there storms? I mean, when you're trying to walk with God and you're trying to serve God, why is it, and, and all you want to do is get to Rome and do God's will there, why is it that you have these tremendous 
crises in life, why the shipwrecks come. Let me give you four reasons. Some of you are frantically turning to see if you can get it down. Some of you are not. Number one, why shipwrecks come, you can't deny Satan's opposition. Satan didn't want a Paul to get to Rome. Satan didn't want God's power there. Satan didn't want the message of God in Rome. You can't deny Satan's power. And if you turn sometime to 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says there, I would have come many times before to Thessalonica, but Satan resisted me. And I think sometimes these storms come in life because Satan is opposing you. He doesn't want your witness of faith. He doesn't want your evidence, the message to, to come from your life. Secondly, Sometimes God takes us through the stormy process on our way to Rome for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Now I, want you to know, I want you to answer this. How would these men have ever heard of God's power in the face of a storm had Paul not been in one? And how would they have ever seen the evidence of the grace of God to provide and sustain if Paul hadn't been in a storm? Uh, how would these men have ever witnessed, been witness to this miracle of God if it hadn't been for the storm, Paul's life? The greatest witness that come from your life is the witness you give in a storm. Number three, sometimes he takes us through the stormy process on our way to the roams of our life for the person himself, for Paul's sake. You'd think by now that Paul would learn all the lessons that there were to learn, but he never, you never learn all the lessons. You never outgrow what God's trying to teach you. And I found... You know, and I'm getting old and gray-headed that God has a different lesson for me to learn every day. I thought I knew it all already. But God has so much to teach me. And I want you to know that God has the best. He has my attention when I'm in a storm. One day I went in the church where Don was a member in Fort Worth. I was just at the bottom. I got on my, I didn't get on my knees in my office. I got on my face. And I prayed, oh God, you know, what's going on? What are, you, what are you doing to me? I was just really having a time, a hard time. And God said, if you'll just hang in there, son, I'm going to teach you something that will be a blessing to you for the rest of your life. And he did. Some of the best things I've learned from God, I've learned in a storm. God has taught me more when I've been at the mercy of the winds of life than I've ever learned otherwise. Fourth answer. Why does God send storms? Why does God permit storms? I suppose this is the most used, the most given answer. Nobody knows. 
I'm convinced more often that we'll never know the reason why. We'll never know why. That, that will be true more than we'll know. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for the privilege of making a journey to Rome. There are some of us who have seen our dreams just go down to the bottom. We've seen the ships that are carrying us to our dream break up in the storms. We've lost faith and we've wondered why. And we've even denied you in the face of storms and we've sometimes cursed your name because we weren't able to see how it could ever happen to us. So we've learned some great things from the apostles' life, but the most important thing we've ever learned is that God can be trusted. That when He makes us a promise, He'll keep it. So we turn to you tonight, Father, to say we're sorry when we rebel against you, when we doubt you. We ask you to forgive us and let us not resist, chafe under the lash of life, but to look for what you are teaching us, the God of mercy, the God of love. Bless this invitation to thy glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Now look this way. The invitations tonight are just like we always offer here on Sundays. The first invitation, these are simultaneous. They all happen together. It's for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Begin the walk with Him. I can't tell you that it'll just be smooth sailing all the way, but I can tell you. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life, He takes away your sin, cleanses you. He gives you a brand new life with new attitudes and values and hope. Gives you new eyes to see and a new life to live. Gives you a heavenly home. If you're lost and without Christ, you must come tonight. You must come to give your heart to Him and trust Him. Maybe you're watching on television. Right now, I want you to invite Jesus into your heart. Thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. Right now, breathe a prayer. Jesus, I trust you and you alone. I want you to come into my life. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sin. Then you come publicly, you come forward, you, you bear witness to that, you testify that you've trusted in Jesus. Second invitation is for you to come tonight to say, I want to place my life in the church. I want to be where God's people are at work. This young man I baptized and I said, I've never been inside this church until I came two weeks ago. He said, I walked in here and as soon as I walked in here, I felt the presence of God. And he said, God just moved on my heart and I wanted to give my heart and life to him. 
Maybe you felt that as you've come tonight. God is among His people here and you want to be a part of that and join this fellowship and serve God with us. You don't have long on earth. You need to be in a church. Every moment you need to be in that fellowship serving God. Or you might need to come tonight to say, you know, I'm going through a real crisis in my life and I need those anchors. I need the anchor of the presence of God, practical encouragement and absolute obedience and faith. Help me. Pray for me. The guys will be at the front. We'll want you to come right away. Now it's going to be great to see you coming on the very first word of the invitation. Let's stand and sing.